Welcome to another edition of Opera for Everyone here on 89.1 KHOL. I'm your host, Pat Wright, and today I am joined by guest co-host, Patria Fossil. Welcome, Patria. Hello, everybody. We are thrilled. Patria, tell us about today's opera. What, what are we listening to? Ah, Men Are Less Go by Giacomo Puccini. Yes. And you know, this is a very special one because this is the opera that put Puccini on the map. Yes, it was one of his very early operas, and people talk about how some of the themes that he developed in his more mature operas, very famous ones that you've all heard of. Like Bohème and Butterfly, the ones that really keep opera houses in business. Yes. It's interesting, too, because this is similar and came not too long after another opera called Just Plain Manon by a French composer Massinet, both based on a story by... Abbe Prévost wrote these stories in the early part of the 19th century, about the end of the 18th century. So tell us a tiny bit about Abbe Prévost, because I was confused about how someone who was in the religious order could know about love and... Well, physical love. That's that's a fair that's a fair comment. But there's a lot of the folks, particularly as you go back in time in Europe and the very class conscious world that people were in, the clergy was a respectable choice of profession for certain members. I'm just by the way, I'm generalizing here. I don't know about him specifically on that, but but he seems to fit the mold because He goes uh, to a Jesuit school. He is on the way to taking holy orders, takes a little break, goes and joins the army, has a love affair or two that break his heart and decides to go back to religious studies. That's a little bit of a, just a safe place. The love affair breaking his heart part, that makes sense to me for this opera or this story that he wrote that then became two operas by two different composers. Right. Well, yeah, it was a whole set of stories, memoirs and history of a man of quality. A man of quality, modest. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that is a big piece of the story that we're about to embark on, our, our male lead. He, I don't feel like Puccini hits this overly hard with this information, but Grieux, our male lead, he is a chevalier. He is a, a high-ranking nobleman. Yeah. A man of quality. A man of quality. Not a lot of money, but quality. Right. And Menon Lescaut, her yes. brother is in the army. Just, yes. He's referred to as Lescaut. I think he's a sergeant. or not. Yeah, But they're not from as uh, high station to family, not by a long shot. Oh, really? I didn't realize that. I, that's what I mean. Uh, he does not hit it as hard okay. as the truth of the story. Puccini, I feel, in general in this story, the music is unbeatable, but some of the details of the story itself are omitted and they're slipped into songs later but you don't he doesn't necessarily give you all the information you wish you had to actually understand these characters as people one thing i read in he he was considered almost the last of the italian opera composers there's some similarities to prior golden age of italian opera but he had some influence by ricard wagner in how he used the orchestra and he apparently also experimented with other forms of music. So it's sort of a transitional art form. But one other thing I read was that he really 
paid a lot of attention to his stories yes. and his li- the librettos. He, I think he was a nightmare to work with, quite honestly, if you were a librettist. Probably, yeah. yeah. But he had a very good dramatic sense, which yes. Wagner, of course, did too. And Wagner, of course, wrote his own librettos too. Ah, well, <laughs> Libre- think about pe- people who might have been a nightmare to work for. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, better, better it was that way. So, and Puccini... It was very interested in, in these strong female characters. Who always have to suffer terribly. Yes. Uh, somebody said that he might be, have been a tad uh, sadistic, but he also, he had a very tempestuous love life himself. That's putting it mildly. Yes. Ran away with a married woman and yes. lived with her in sin and had a child. Which I don't was think apparently we have time huge, to do all that. Okay. There's too much. <laughs> huge scandal. <laughs> but the point is, there is so much drama and emotion that um, in, in this opera and his other operas that it comes through. Yeah. It, it's not, they're not really fluff pieces they're they're no, really serious human crises of love and moral decisions right. and the beautiful music of course dramatic music well, I think, emotional music i think one thing worth mentioning here i started off by saying that this was the one that really put him on his map this is one of his earlier he had two operas before this that didn't really get much attention or much critical acclaim but he he burst onto this onto the scene with Manon Lescaut. Yes, and his publisher Ricordi, who had also worked with Verdi, was the one who, although Puccini had not won one of these competitions, because Italy was looking for the new Verdi at this mm-hmm. point, at the point that he was coming up, and who's going to be the new Verdi? Who's going to be the new top dog in Italian opera? And different people and publishers, in particular, were essentially placing bets, and Riccardi placed his bet on Puccini, even though he had not done as well in some competitions. And But with Manon Lescaut, Riccardi got to say, told you so. Yes. And because he went on from there to these great war horses of the opera repertoire after Manon Lescaut. Manon Lescaut still has played, but, but it's very interesting because this is one of the few times where the same story is treated in an opera and there's not a clear dominant one to this day because the Massenet version of Manon is played quite a lot, as is this. So evidently the the Massenet version is uh, lighter and maybe has more comedy in it, whereas this is... It's a little more fun, I'd say, particularly in the beginning. And Mm -hmm. we can talk as we go through the story that there are some scenes in the Massenet opera which are not represented in the Puccini opera telling the same story and vice versa. I haven't seen the Massenet, so I'll rely on you for that part. You are in for a treat (laughs) when you do see Massenet's version of the Manon story. So shall we set the scene? Yes. We are in a town square in Amiens, France, and uh, we've got people kind of drinking, milling around, being sociable together, and a fair chunk of those people are students. Yes. And the students are kind of teasing each other and just having a good time. Yes. But the one they tease the most is Desgrieux. Desgrieux. Because he has not let himself find the right woman or fall in love at all. And he's quite serious. In the, in the production I saw, he was off to the side reading a book. He's a bit of a nerd. Well, let's hear a few of the songs that... Degria and the boys sing, and Edmondo is seems to be the chief spokesman for the, the group of students that he's hanging out with. But Degria will say, "Love of that tragedy, 
or rather that farce, I know nothing. And he's sort of fine with it, but then he begins to wonder, oh, is there a beautiful girl waiting for me somewhere? Mm -hmm. And since this is the beginning of the opera, probably we know the answer to that one. for everyone and today's opera is Puccini's fabulous first hit Manon Lescaut and we have just heard the uh, the young gentleman in the town square primarily the young gentleman in the town square teasing their friend about the fact that he hasn't fallen in love and he first says well I that's just not my concern and then he thinks well maybe maybe somewhere there's someone for me of course at the moment there's no one for him. But uh, that's about to change when the yes. coach pulls up. The coach pulls up. And everyone's curious. Well, who's new in town? And we have the lovely young woman, Manon Lescaut. And just to try to avoid confusion, we're simply going to call her Manon because her brother is called Lescaut. Yes. And so she's there with her brother. And there's another passenger on the coach. Monsieur Gérant, who's an older man, and I think he's, he's got a much older, wealthy. The brother is bringing Manon to take her to a convent. So here's this beautiful, innocent-looking young woman 
and she seems resigned to her fate, which sort of surprises me too. Well, you're right. We're not given a lot of information as to why she's going to the convent, but there's some very plausible possibilities. One is that her family's hard up for money, and it's a perfectly respectable place to park a daughter. You don't need to give a dowry or any of that sort of thing, so you can put her away there. And it's also a great way to control a wild child. Aha. Uh-huh. So maybe there's a little something in her past. Seeing what's happened next, maybe she was a wild child. I think that's entirely possible. <laughs> Let's listen to the music from when they first meet. Oh, it's so sweet. He's so tentative with her, and she's being the shy damsel. She's a little flirty. (laughs) Well, she knows when a man's looking at her, even though he doesn't really know what's going on. And it's very sweet. Then she goes off to her room at the inn, and there's this gorgeous tenor piece where he's essentially admitting to himself that he's in love with her. Yes, and falling hard. Oh, indeed. Thank you. 
conspiranti contro il fato vinceremo. to Manon Lescaut by Puccini on Opera for Everyone, and that was our lead character, Desgrieux, our tenor, pouring his heart out. He's fallen for the beautiful, young Manon Lescaut, who, we're told in the story, is headed for the convent. She's about to be cloistered away for the rest of her life, but she's got a brother who maybe thinks that's not what she wants, and certainly not what he wants, even though that's what her parents want. And there's someone else who's interested in her besides this young student nerd tenor who's never fallen in love before and he's fallen hard. Great intrigue. So there's this Monsieur Girard who happens to be a tax collector 
who they met on the coach. And he's got lots of money. Lots of money. And the brother, Lesko, is a little shady. <laughs> That's putting it mildly. <laughs> he has a conversation with Gerard. They're kind of feeling each other out, finds out that he's definitely wealthy. And then Gerard says, so your sister is going to take the veil. And uh, yeah. Lesko says... Yes, on the bad advice of my family. You know, yeah, it wouldn't only, be my choice. She's right. too great an asset for me. She's only 18, and I don't think she'll be happy. And mm-hmm. so, and he's he kind of giving the hint that, well, he could take her to Paris. She could, she could find a life there somehow. So, yeah, the brother, in other words, is saying, hey, wealthy old man, maybe we could come to some sort of an agreement when it comes to my pretty sister. Is this called pimping? <laughs> Yes. So anyway, Gerard is no fool, and he recognizes that Lesko is not really that clever. So he sort of offers him a drink and sees that he enjoys gambling. And he invites them for dinner, sort of to start kind of a seduction in motion, but thinks of another plan, but doesn't share it with Lesko and is happy to have him off distracted by gambling with the people in the square. That is one of Lesko's great interests, is interests, gambling. Interests, Because that will come up later as well. Yeah, so he's one of these people who thinks he's going to, the next one's going to be hitting it big, right? Exactly. Never happens. So uh, Gerard goes to the innkeeper and says, I'm going to pay you in advance, no questions asked. Silence is golden. And the innkeeper <laughs> says, I like gold, of course. <laughs> right. um, and this reminds me of some other operas we've talked about with gold changing a lot of hands. But yep. so he says, quick, get me a coach and there will be a young woman and a man. And Edmondo, who's the student, who's Degria's buddy and kind of the ringleader in the, in the plaza, is gets a little suspicious of Gerant, and so he goes and eavesdrops mm-hmm. on this and realizes that Gerant is planning to basically abduct Manon and take her off to Paris. Yeah, so, abduct, wink, wink, because he does have the blessing of the brother in some ways to yes. associate with the sister. And particularly, speaking of gold, I think if you just threw a few coins at the brother, he'd be fine with right. it. Right. And meanwhile, of course, Manon has no say in any of this. But No, but we are led to believe that she's not very happy about having to go to the convent. True. And she, cause she likes nice things, not, As not what she's going to find in the convent. No, and we'll see more of that later. So Edmondo goes to warn Desgrieux and says, this young woman that you've just fallen madly in love with is about to be taken off to Paris, but here's what you can do. Mm-hmm. She's coming down to meet you and go quickly to this coach because the innkeeper instructions to the coachman was it's going to be a young woman and a man didn't say an older man or a younger man so you guys can go off (laughs) your getaway vehicle awaits all right so let's listen to this wonderful exchange between de creux and his buddy and then we'll hear manon up here saying she is true to her word and she's come back to see him La tua proserpina di resisterti forse avrà virtù. Cavaliere, te la fanno? Che vuoi dire? Quel fior dolcissimo che olezzava poco fa. (laughs) 
Well, it's all going splendidly for Manon and her chevalier, the nobleman de Grieux. Ta they've taken, they've taken the coach that 
the elderly rich gentleman has arranged for and paid for. Thanks very much. And <laughs> they have bolted. She needed a little persuading, but... Um, a little. Yeah, you're a right. A little. But she I think did. she's fallen in love, too, so... Yeah, there's, there's chemistry between those two. But meanwhile, back at the inn... Gérant comes and is all ready to have his seduction dinner yes. and finds out that she's fled and so goes and interrupts the card game and, and gets let's go. And his answer kills me. It's like, ah, oh, she's gone off with a student. The money's going to run out soon. Let's just follow her to Paris and she'll be yours. Yes, right, because Gérant wants to be outraged that someone has taken the coach that he's paid for and taken the woman that he expects to possess but the brother's like no 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 I know my sister she's not going to stay with him once the money runs out yeah it's outrageous so we'll see what happens next yes thus endeth act one and we'll be ready for act two of Manon Lescaut Puccini's great first hit momentarily <laughs> ready for act two of Manon Lescaut. We are maybe in a setting that we don't expect to find ourselves in at this point. Yes, some things have happened that they don't show. Yes. The last we saw Manon and Desgrieux, they were escaping by coach. Off to their love. A love nest. A love nest. Yes, yeah. in Paris. And as Lescaut, Manon's brother, predicted, the money ran out, and he arranged for her to become the mistress, basically, of Monsieur Gerard. Right, and we're just supposed to assume all of that when it opens on this opulent room where Manon is sitting and uh, having her hair done and playing with her gorgeous jewelry, and we instantly know, wow, that didn't last long, although there's some speculation about how long it lasts. And I will point out in the Massenet opera, we do have the satisfaction of seeing a little bit of the love nest that Desgrieux and Manon establish in Paris ah. before she goes to the rich lover. Yes, so she's very much a kept woman with the hairdressers and makeup artists and choosing what kind of beauty mark to put and yes. they even had names in the opera and uh, her brother comes in to oh, the yeah, scene. yeah, because he loves the fact that he's got a very wealthy sister. It's working out well for him. Very well. He's continued his career as a gambler mm-hmm. and it's early in the morning and he said, oh, I see your, you know, Gironde has already left and you look a little pouty this morning and she says, no, everything is fine, but he senses that she's a little wistful. And so the subject of Degria comes up. Thanks to the brother. Thanks yes, to the he brother. He, he, he makes it clear that he'll, 
that he would entertain a question about him. He said, well, you know, Degrin, I've become friends. I'm teaching him how to gamble. This is how we're making our living. And she feels a pang of remorse that he has become a gambler, perhaps to have some money at some point in the future to win her Which back. is an interesting point because, uh, again, I don't think this is as well explained in the Puccini opera as it is in the writing or even the Massenet opera, that just a reminder that the status of Deglia is quite high socially. And his father is very wealthy. Ah. But the father does not approve of how Deglia has been spending his time and his life. In, in the actual story of Manon Lescaut, Deglia is kidnapped by the father. Oh, interesting. Right, the father doesn't want him mixing up with this low-class woman. Uh-huh. And he he hopes to marry her, and that's out of the question. Uh-huh. Because she's from a lower class. She's essentially a prostitute, a mistress here. And that's left unsaid in the Puccini opera. Interesting, interesting. So he's forfeited his position in society and with his family because of Manon. And at this point, he doesn't even have Manon. Right. Even though the forfeiture remains. Right. So I mean, it's, it's, it's what he said in the beginning, in the first act about oh, love. <laughs> exactly. But a the, farce. The brother, right. Sort of or a, a tragedy. Sad, yeah, more, more tragedy here, I think. But the brother brings it up again because he can see the sister. You know, it's funny, in his odd, depraved way, I think yes. the brother does love the sister. Yes. But it is an odd and depraved yes, way. Yes, I agree completely. <laughs> and so the sister... She's eager for news of Deglia, and the brother's sort of feeling, Lesko is sort of feeling her out on that whole thing. Shall we listen to the two of them hashing this out? Yes.
You're listening to Manon Lescaut on Opera for Everyone, 89.1, K-H-O-L. And we've just heard Manon speaking with her brother, Lescaut, about her former life and her former love with Desgrieux. And Manon has also taken a moment to, to have a little bit of a reverie about the passion which her life once had contrasting it to the opulence but coldness of her current life. And here's what it says in the libretto, actually. It's true, it's true, I left him, without a word of farewell, without a kiss. In those soft lace hangings and that gilt alcove, there is a silence, a mortal chill. There is a silence, a coldness that turns me to ice. 
and I, who was accustomed to a voluptuous caress of ardent lips and passionate arms, now have something quite different. Oh, my humble dwelling, you again appear before me, cheerful, secluded, white-walled, like a sweet dream of peace and love. Interesting. I feel like she's romanticizing backwards this not very opulent dwelling where she used to live. Yeah. But she does miss the love from her beautiful chevalier. And when her brother is telling her how he's taught De Clea to be a gambler, we hear her speaking to herself. And she says, speaking to herself and speaking to him, for me, you are striving. For me, the wretch who deserted you, who cost you so much grief. So a little bit of guilty feelings yeah. there. Ah, come, give me back the past, the fleeting hours. Your passionate caresses. Ah, give me back the kisses, your burning kisses, that rapture which once gladdened me. So she kind of wants it both ways. She wants the opulence and the richness that the old, the older fellow can give her, but she wants the passion of the young man. It's kind of a classic conundrum. It is classic, isn't it? <laughs> but then she snaps back to the present, and we have a whole scene with these madrigal singers who come in to perform some of these lines that her current lover and keeper has composed to delight her. She's not delighted. The brother thinks it's a farce, a little bit hysterical. And then we have the uh, affected dancing master, shall we say? The yeah. very self-conscious dan dancing master coming in to, I think, really represent, besides the opulent setting and the jewels, just what kind of life she's living, that she has all these servants and people around her to entertain her, to beautify her. But I also thought it was uh, sort of a status symbol for Gérant to provide these musicians, to provide the dancing master. Absolutely. And then he has guests, and the guests come and bring her flowers or jewelry. And among the guests are some abbés, which I think is maybe a reference to the author of the original Menel Losco story. Well, it's part of the household staff in a way. Right. You have these clerics there who take care of your spiritual needs, maybe provide alms to the poor on your behalf. It's, it is status, and it's what one can do when one is extremely wealthy. It was interesting, though, in the, in the production I saw, the dancing master leads her through a dance with a dancing partner, and it was really quite sexual, which I thought was interesting, and I was kind of wondering if it was you know, something else that Gérant used as a way to, you know... I don't recall noticing that when I've seen other productions okay. of it, but... It was a, maybe, a, as we'll see later, maybe it was a little bit of a um, foreshadowing of some passion that we'll see later. Yes, in fact, I think we might see it quite soon. Okay, soon. <laughs> well, we have, um, we have this whole crew, and they're going off to a party, and she says, okay, I just need a few minutes. And we assume she's going to fix her hair just one more time and straighten her dress and powder her nose, as it were. And in this moment that she has alone, who shows up? Degria. Of course he does. The brother has gone to fetch him. Yes. And says, I, I, I think my sister would like to speak with you. And we have, for this opera, a slightly longer piece that we're going to present now, which is... It's, it's the whole emotional journey from them getting back together, from her expressing 
no regret, some regret, him expressing anger, misery, but he's there. And little by little, they both admit the passion and the love that they have for one another. And then as the music gets richer and more exciting, you get a sense of culmination of this passion between the two of them, even as they literally fall onto a bed or a couch. And then the music relaxes and there's a lovely moment that they're together, but just as that lovely moment feels like this is how it's meant to be, in walks Jérôme. Yes, but let's hear that music first. And I have to say that I was a little slow warming up to this opera, but from this moment on, right to the end, which is so full of emotion, I was really very moved. And that was one of the things I read about Puccini, was that he spent a lot of time trying to understand what would move his audiences yes. and keep him popular. But also he had, a, he had a gift for it. He had a gift for the range of human emotions. And they, ring, yep. they really ring true. And the production I saw, the singers were very well matched in terms of their singing and their acting ability and their connection, their chemistry together. So for me, this is where this opera really began. And I was really became really engaged in it. So let's listen to that music. Yeah, and and I agree with you. The reality of the emotions become crystal clear here. They've been playing at it up till now, and I feel like that's maybe why you, it grabbed you emotionally at this point, because it, it becomes very authentic, I think. Yes.
Well, here we are at the dramatic ending to Act Two of Manon Lescaut, and our two lovers have found each other once again, and then in turn been found by the man who is keeping her and expects her fidelity. So Gerant bursts into the room, sees exactly what's happening, and leaves. So yes, he says, "A bientôt. I'll be back soon." And, what now, uh, young lovers? Right. Big trouble. <laughs> so uh, De Grio says, we need to leave, we need to leave. And of course, Menon is, she's conflicted because she says, well, I'm, I need to take this, I need to take that. And she's she, trying to... Yeah, she suddenly remembers, ooh, I kind of like the nice things I have here. Right. And she starts grabbing... And, and and her brother comes and says, no, you guys, you got to leave now. Yes. I was at the barracks. The soldiers are coming. He's getting reinforcements and people with guns and you guys are going to be in huge trouble go right and you and you you are facing exile exactly he says to Manon and she says I, I couldn't I couldn't stand that but she doesn't want to be poor anymore she right. does not want to be poor so the two men are trying to leave and get her out of there and she just keeps trying to bundle up small expensive things and putting them under carry. her coat carry anyway yeah. it doesn't work well, she, well I'm you know the one of the tragic flaws of this yes. heroine is that she brings it on herself. If she had left at the first moment that De, we we at least were left to believe, if she had left at the first moment that Daglia says we need to go right now, they might have escaped, not with any money, but with their freedom. Instead, they are surrounded, and she is arrested and put in jail, and that is the end of Act Two. That's right. We'll listen just to a little bit of going out music here. Sono già per via, sono già per via. Andiamo, 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 and
istante della tecchiante sotto l'ombria che sono sulla via buchi si fanno Opera for Everyone, a radio show and podcast that makes opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable for everyone. It airs Sundays from 9 to 11 a.m. Mountain Time on 89.1 KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. KHOL is Wyoming's only community radio station. I'm your host, Pat Wright, joined today by special guest co-host Patria Fossil. Stay with us. The second half of today's show is coming right up. Welcome back to the second half of Opera for Everyone. I'm your host today, Pat Wright, and I'm joined by guest co-host, Patria Fossil. Hello, everybody. Patria, thank you so much for being here. It's, you've been enormously helpful. <laughs> this is so fun. I love it. Well, opera is for everyone after all, isn't it? Yes. Well, before we get going with more of our story and more of our music, I'd like to take just a moment to tell you that we are listening to a recording that was made in 1992 at La Scala in Milan. Lauren Mazel is the conductor. Our Manon is sung by Nina Rautio and Gino Quilico plays Lesco, the brother. Peter Dvorsky plays the Chevalier. Des Grieux, a romantic tenor lead, and the elderly gentleman, who is not as attractive to Manon Lescaut, is played by Luigi Roni. He's a bass. So here we are at the moment where sometimes we do an opera helmet quiz, but maybe we can just do a quick recap. Okay. So the first act, we meet Manon, her brother, Gérant, and Le Chevalier, Des Grieux. And it's love at first sight for Manon and Des Grieux. The brother is shady. He's supposed to be taking his sister to a convent, but as soon as we know it, he is... Yeah, she never makes it to that convent. She doesn't make it to the convent. And she doesn't seem terribly upset about that. That's true, too. So she 
is willingly abducted by de Grieux and heads to Paris. Yes, and they've made off with the transportation provided by Monsieur Gérant, mm-hmm. who had hoped to seduce her. And when he found out, the brother, Lesko, said, oh, don't worry. She will leave this poor student as soon as the money runs out. And in fact, that turns out to be true. And Act Two opens in jumps a ahead. We jumps never even ahead. get to see them happy. That that part makes me a little sad <laughs> that we don't get to see them in their happy moment. But no, we're told it happened. But yes. she didn't like the poverty. No, but she didn't really like being a kept woman either. It seems uh, she point. missed the passion and love. It's this tension within mm-hmm. her. But. Act two opens in this very fancy boudoir where she has hairstylists and makeup artists and then there are musicians coming and And Brother Deer shows up. And Brother Deer shows up and sort of drops little hints that he's now friends with De Grieux and he's teaching him how to gamble and sort of tests out whether his sister still has feelings for De Grieux, which of course she does. So the brother, always stirring things up, mm-hmm. goes and finds De Grieux, and he comes, and he and Menon kiss and make up, basically. Yes, the old flame is rekindled. Big time, With big time. Very, burning inferno, yes. Yes, <laughs> and just it's so emotional and such compelling drama and opera. And then they're caught. They are caught, and Monsieur Gérant calls the police, and they come, and Menon is arrested. So in Act 3, we open up. It's another sort of abrupt change of scene. Yes. So we are in Le Havre, and uh, she is about to be deported to America. The port city where... They are awaiting transport on a boat to the New World. And it's not just any place in America. It's New France, of course, because these are French people. And this is the colony of France. It's it's Louisiana. Mm -hmm. And this is the place where they send the undesirables. Right. And she is now deemed an undesirable. And she's in the company of... And she's gone from her beautiful gown in Act 2 to... Uh, prison garb in some productions oh sorry in the production I saw (laughs) and she wore that right through the end of the opera yeah but de is still madly in love with her he's still sticking by her he's hanging around the brother again all kinds of schemes has bribed someone and they're hoping to help her escape from prison and it's also worth mentioning at this point very interesting we we talked a little bit about the class differential between de and manon before and i think it's worth mentioning it once again aside from the fact that she's a woman of easy virtue, as one might say, but she's also considerably lower class. And so while in France, even, she's put in horrible conditions. This is more thoroughly explained in the book. Uh And it is, how to say, it's not the prison that the um, aristocrats might go to. Ah, interesting. It's very, very undesirable, very full of infection, infestation, hardship of living, inadequate food. She is suffering greatly even before any sort of exile to the Americas. And he, meanwhile, was there when all of this looting was going on in Gérant's house, but he's not punished the same way. After all, he's a chevalier. Right. So he's okay. 
And it's, it indicates how much he loves her that he's giving up his social position to go and hang around this prison. And Well, he's already given up so much for her, and they reaffirmed that love and that devotion. And yes. he, he sticks with it. Because for all of his flaws, we do think he is a man of honor. Yes, absolutely. So the brother has this idea of helping her escape, which, of course, doesn't work. The brother, he's always working an angle, isn't he? Some, some angle. So let's listen to the first song in Act 3 where the brother and Desgrieux are awaiting the appearance of the prisoners who are going to be transported to the New World for their exile and just getting them out of France and getting rid of the undesirables. And they wait and she does ultimately appear at the bars. They have an opportunity to interact with each other and from here on out, the opera is completely heartrending, I think. Yes, and uh, you know, depending on the sets and the production, just them trying to interact through the bars of this jail cell, and it, it's it's so touching and so heartrending, as you say. Yes.
And so in Manolo's go, our hero, Degrieux, and his lady love, Manon Lescaut, seeing and touching one another again through the bars, their hope is revived. And Degrieux begins to believe in this plan for escape that Lescaut, Manon's brother, has hatched. But it doesn't go as planned. Thank <laughs> you. 
You're listening to Opera for Everyone, and this is Puccini's Manon Lescaut. And uh, things are not going well for Manon, are they? No. The brothers plot to rescue her from prison and prevent her from being exiled to Louisiana. It's failed. It has failed. So now we are at a place where there is a roll call of all the women prisoners, the undesirables. The prostitutes are leaving the jail and boarding the ship. Yes, one by one, they are brought on and the crowd around makes comments about all the women as they are embarking the ship. Yes, and it's really interesting because some of them are clearly prostitutes and they're defiant and each one has a name and the townspeople comment on their appearances and and then there's Manon and the crowd recognizes that she's different. She holds herself differently. She doesn't seem, she seems just to not really belong there. Well, she's probably a little younger, That's and she's true. been living a very privileged existence. Yes, she's not with her a, wealthy keeper. Yeah, not a streetwalker. So, uh, and then of course her brother is there, stirring the pot and trying to engender sympathy from the crowd. Uh, yes. And it's mostly the men who, who comment, oh, what about that one? And she has such regal bearing. And the brother said, yes, plucked from the arms of a young lover, taken by an older man and then dumped. See that pale young man over there? That was her fiancé. So, and, and it's interesting to me that the men in the crowd are actually feeling some empathy for her. And I think this is a very dramatic part of the opera and one of those places where Puccini is really working on the audience's emotion. I I felt it. Yes, I mean, it doesn't keep her from having to board the boat, but he's making sure that we are not stopping to think too hard about her greed of pillaging Gérant's home that instead we're focusing on her plight. Yes. So how was that handled in the Manon, Massenet's Manon opera? Well, again, one of the reasons why I think these two operas, which have great subject matter, can continue to exist in our world is they really focus on different scenes from her life. We've, we've mentioned already, but the, the movement from act to act in the Puccini opera, there's stuff that has happened and it's different things that are portrayed in the Massenet opera. And the ending gets tweaked with a little bit as well. Oh, really? In fact, the, one of the, the interesting scenes that is in the Massenet, Manon, is you actually get to see Des Grieux being a gambler. Ah. And you get to see him being accused of cheating by... He's given a different name in the Massenet opera, but, but by the Gérant figure. And you even get to meet uh, Des Grieux, the senior, the father uh-huh. of the Chevalier. So there's a lot of difference there. And also the, this ending, this second to last act that we're talking about now is taking place in the port city. And the last act will, in fact, take place in Louisiana, where she's, she's headed at this point. But in Massenet's opera, she never, she never makes it on the boat. Oh, interesting, interesting. Yeah, and in fact, I was looking to see what options there were to watch the opera, and I actually stumbled across on one of the streaming services a film that was made, a French film called Manon Lescaut. Not an opera, not a musical, but a wonderful dramatic film made in 2013. 
subtitled so you can read it if you're an English speaker, which was just a magnificent retelling of the story. I mean, the brother character is fabulous. Manon, the, the actress who plays her, uh, captures the complexity of her character because she is a difficult character to play and to retain sympathy. And the depiction of her awful conditions in prison are just horrifying. Wow. And, and the difference in treatment that Manon receives and that the Chevalier received. And throughout that movie, they call him Chevalier just uh-huh. to reinforce this class and status that he has. And in fact, he's not just a student. He is studying for the priesthood. Oh, So that adds another little yes. twist. Um, it's very fun to, to look at all these different, it's the same story essentially, mm-hmm. but just little details that kind of play on your emotions differently. But Manon does get on the boat here in, in Puccini's opera, yes. and they say a tender goodbye, and then De Grier, who is, he just doesn't know how he's going to go on living, he comes up with a plan. He falls on his knees, and the commander of the ship said, what's going on here? And he said, "I please let me follow her. I'll be a cabin boy on your ship. Please take me with you. Yeah. And with hardly any thought at all, the captain agrees. And that is the end of Act 3. Menon and Degria board the ship. So let's hear a little bit about that music from the very end of Act 3. Rosetta!
To Opera for Everyone. I'm your host, Pat Wright, and I'm joined by Patria Fossil. Hello. And you're listening to Opera for Everyone on 891 KHOL, and today's opera is Manon Lescaut 
by Giacomo Puccini, an opera that premiered right at the end of the 19th century in Italy, of course. And this is the opera that made Puccini burst onto the Italian scene and made him as close as anything to the heir of Verdi. Everyone was eager to see who it was going to be. And there are a lot of good operas in Puccini's future. Of course, we've already done most of them on Opera for Everyone, but we may revisit a few. They're awfully good. One of the things I noticed, by the way, we spoke a little bit before about a movie that I saw, a film of Manon Lescaut and another powerful retelling of this tragic tale. But do you notice when you listen to Puccini music, it often sounds like a soundtrack to a fabulous movie? I think some of it has been used in some fabulous movies too. That's true. That's definitely true. Yeah, I I've I've I often think that compared to some of the older operas that this just sounds dare I say way more modern. Well, I, I think they talk about how this is tra- transitional. I mean, he used some of the um, traditional opera forms, but he also was interested in the musicians of his time who were experimenting with different types of tones and different uses of instruments, stretching them to their capacity. Um, Yeah. I'm a little getting over my head in the music part of this here, but yeah. (laughs) I'll just leave it to you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here we are. We're in Act 4, and um, it tells us in the libretto that we are on, you're going to love this, a desert plain on the borders of New Orleans. Not sure exactly where that is in real life, but... You know, Puccini, he liked to write about these exotic places he had never visited. So the deserts of Louisiana, that's one of those exotic places he had never been to. And although we can't entirely blame Puccini, of course, we've got the Abbe Prévost to uh, also... Oh, yes. ...credit with this, with this story. Doesn't matter. It's all about the drama. She's been exiled to the other side of the world an undeveloped area and it tells us that the ground is bare and undulating the horizon boundless the sky cloudy and it is early evening Manon and Descrieux come into sight ragged and destitute I might add by the way in the actual story they actually have a couple good years together oh really he manages to get off the boat with her and while never well-to-do, they do have a little home together for oh, a while. Oh, interesting. I wonder what happened in this opera. Well, in this opera, we're, we're right at the bitter end here. Yes, and it, and is, it bitter. is bitter. Yeah. Very bitter. Very bitter. <laughs> so they are, they are traversing the desert, and she is not doing well. No. And again, from the other versions of this... I think we're meant to think that the time in prison was pretty hard on her. Mm -hmm. She's doing her best to make this journey with him. And he says, put all your weight on me, my weary beloved. The dusty road, the cursed road will end soon. And she she tries to carry on, but it's not working very well for her. But she is trying, and this is where you see how utterly in love with each other they are. And this is the real tragedy. And it's just achingly beautiful to watch and listen to. Yeah, yeah. Shall we hear a little bit of that first piece from Act Four? Yes.
strada polverosa, la strada maledetta al termine s'avanza. to Opera for Everyone and Manon Lescaut by Giacomo Puccini. Well, hard not to be crying at this point. These two young lovers are suffering terribly as they traverse the Louisiana desert. And that last bit we heard is Desgrieux feeling so terrible about what he feels he has brought his lover to because she is, she's fading. And they kind of know she's in her last bit of time on earth and she's thirsty so that adds to the horror I think for the audience is that they have no water no food and you can just feel the thirst fortunately it doesn't affect her fantastic singing but you know that's one of the things that's such a challenge about this role I understand is that you have to be able to be so convincing as physically frail and declining and thirsty and yet you still have to fill an opera house with soprano singing. Yes, and I always wonder how it is the singers can sing lying down, but there's a lot of lying down singing in the end of this yes. opera. And she just pushes on. They're such sympathetic figures. You do forget everything that brought them to this point and just are so moved by what they're going through and, and the real love that they have for each other. She wants to give up. She wants him to go on. 
he says, no, I'm not going to leave you. She said, please, see if, we can, if you can go find water. Yes, and in this next song, he tenderly leaves to get water, not wanting to leave her, but wanting to help her. And I think you get a feeling, or at least I did, that by sending him off, she doesn't really believe it's going to help, but it's going to spare him some of the sight of her suffering. I think you're right. I think you're right. I was afraid that he wouldn't come back in time. <laughs> oh, no, we need a good duet at the end. <laughs> no, it's, it's quite sad. But he also says a little prayer. Yes. And this reminds me back to the original author of the story, the Abbe. Some other biographical details. Sola perduta abbandonata. And she sings most of this flat out on the stage in the desert.
You're listening to Manon Lescaut by Giacomo Puccini on Opera for Everyone, and we're right at the end of this tragic tale. And we've just heard this exquisite, painful soprano aria where she feels alone and abandoned. Of course, her lover is with her every step of the way, and he's only left her at her insistence to go see if he can find water. And during that time, she lets us know that she doesn't want to die. She says, I don't want to die. I thought this would be a peaceful land for us. She thought they would find happiness, but no, this land is is stained with blood. And she reflects on her horrible past. So she's regretting some of her actions and she understands that there's a price to be paid for her behavior. Interesting because she's the only one. Why is it always the women who have to pay for the behavior here? Well, no, I mean, and and that's what they say about Puccini's biggest operas that are still in the repertoire. Madame Butterfly, anyone? Yes. (laughs) Poor dear. So, and and (laughs) Tosca commits suicide, Madame Butterfly commits suicide. Uh, Yeah, it's terrible. There's a couple These women are put in positions where they have no choice, and yet they are the ones held responsible. Yeah, I think we said it before that some people have said that Puccini, with his heroines, who are very strong and, and buck convention, but then suffer terribly... Uh, that there's almost a little bit of sadism in how some of them end. Okay. Well, Manon Lescaut is dying on the stage. She's dying of thirst. Who knows what disease. Des Grieux returns, having not found water, as no one expected he would. She falls into his arms, and she says, Into your arms, my beloved, for the last time. Is there any good news? And there isn't. Um, nope. And... What ensues, which is the final duet in the opera, is just so beautiful and so sad. And They both profess love together for one another. And finally she says, the flame is dying, speak to me. And he does, he says her name and she says, I can't even hear you anymore. Bring your face close to me. Alas, kiss me one more time. And De Cleo says, Without you, I am lost. Okay, before we get to the end, one quick interjection. In the story of this version, Prévost wrote, he actually lives on for a couple of years. I was wondering about that. We don't, it's left unsaid yes. in this opera, but he, he is taken in by the townspeople uh-huh. in Louisiana. No great love left. He's a sad, broken man, but he does, he does live on for a few years in exile, cut off from his family. All right, that end of that aside, Manon responds to him when he says, without you, I am lost, I will follow you. So we think maybe he's, he's expecting to take his own life, and she forbids him from doing it. Farewell, dark is the night, I am cold. Was your Manon loving? Do you remember? Tell me, the splendor of my youth, and I shall never see the sun again. And the grief overwhelms De Crieux and Manon, her last lines and the last lines of the opera. My faults will be forgotten, but my love will never die. Well, I just got goosebumps. Please enjoy the end of Manon Lescaut, and thank you, thank you so much for joining us on another edition of Opera for Everyone.
Thanks for listening to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Pat Wright, and I was joined today by guest co-host Patria Fossil. If you missed any of today's show, you can find this episode and many others on your favorite podcast app under Opera for Everyone. Opera for Everyone airs every Sunday morning from 9 to 11 Mountain Time on 89.1 KHOL Jackson, Wyoming. Opera can be challenging, but everyone loves a good story. And a story set to music is even better. Our mission is to make opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable because we believe opera is for everyone.